So, about three weeks ago, I was sitting where I spend a lot of my time days, a little place I like to call the Schuylkill Expressway parking lot. (laughs) And I was thinking about a meeting that I had just left here at Wellsprings. It was a Saturday afternoon, and I was heading back from a leadership gathering, a Saturday morning gathering of our board of trustees, our leadership and spiritual development team, and all of the team leaders of all of the different ministries and great work that Wellsprings does, as well as Reverend Ken and myself. And the leadership gathering on that Saturday morning was a little bit special because it was the day before our lead minister, Reverend Ken Belden, began his nine-week sabbatical that now started about three weeks ago. As you can imagine, there were a lot of feelings at that meeting, a lot of complicated emotions. I think actually one of our leaders summed it up best when he said, it feels like we're teenagers and our parents about to leave us alone for the first time while they go out of town. And so as I sat there in the parking lot, reflecting on all of these different emotions that were coming up for me, I decided to pick up my phone, and I put this post up on Facebook. Some of you might have seen it. I'll read it. Last leadership meeting before Ken's sabbatical. One cup curiosity, one half cup joyful, plus two teaspoons nervous laughter, divided. Three heaping tablespoons of tenderness. Three-quarter cup unique gifts mix, sifted, crayons to taste, combine and blend, pour out, bake for a summer. Serves 235 or so. (laughs) You should know that Ken commented almost immediately to point out that the next day was New Member Sunday, so it was more like 250 or so. (laughs) Thanks, Ken. So I'll be up here before you, I'll have the privilege of being up here before you three times this summer. And for each of those three Sundays that I preach, I'll be continuing our Spirit Flick series, Finding Meaning in Movies. And today I wanted to share a message that was inspired by the 2007 film Waitress, starring Carrie Russell. And if you've seen that film, if you went to our Fun and Fellowship team screening last night, or if you've just seen it on your own, then you might have already guessed that the idea to preach about this movie came up in that moment that I put that Facebook post up about three weeks back. Because you see, the main character in that movie, Jenna, is a baker. She's also a waitress, as you might have guessed from the title. But even more importantly, she's a very, very gifted and talented pie baker. Her pie-making skills And her incredible creativity are the key to the success of Joe's Pie Diner, a favorite little spot in a sleepy kind of any town USA, with a steady cast of regular customers and three full-time waitresses who are also fierce, loving, tightly knit friends. Jenna creates the special pie every single morning at Joe's Pie Diner. And we learn in the first scene of the film that the pies that Jenna comes up with are not just delicious culinary experiences. 
They're also reflections of her world. They're sort of mini autobiographies that share a little bit of the story of her life, the circumstances, the joys, the complex emotions in her days. And we also become aware pretty quickly in this film that the circumstances of Jenna's life have not been working well for her for some time. And that they're about to get much worse. This here is bad baby pie. <laughs> it's a quiche of egg and brie cheese with a smoked ham center. It's the pie that Jenna invents on the morning that she discovers that she is pregnant. And the father of her baby is her abusive, controlling, deeply insecure, and therefore deeply violent and threatening husband, Earl. We see more about what Jenna's been going through from some of her other pies. There's I hate my husband pie. You take bittersweet chocolate and you don't sweeten it. You make it into a pudding and you drown it in caramel. There's Earl murders me because I'm having an affair pie. You smash blackberries and raspberries into a chocolate crust. That recipe kind of just dwindles. Part of why I love this film is because for a movie that seems on its surface to be kind of a feel-good, colorful, happy flick about a small-town waitress who can make a mean pie, it really deals with the serious issues and the deep complexities of our lives. The fear and the despair and the helplessness that often sits uncomfortably around and between the things that bring us joy. The pies are obviously a storytelling device in this film. They're a window into Jenna's internal life, and they give us as the audience a way to understand her feelings and her experience. For her and for us, these recipes are a way of naming what's going on in her life. They're a way of calling her and our attention back to what's here, to what's here in this very moment, where there's nowhere else to be. Is this starting to sound familiar? It's a spiritual practice. The baking of her pies and this checking in with her life and her emotions are a way of her recognizing what's here right now in this moment. Waitress is a movie about a lot of things. It's about pies and abuse and friendships and infidelity and courage. But it's also a movie about spiritual practice and about mindfulness and about calling our attention back to the real and true circumstances of our lives. The pies that Jenna bakes offer her a way to shift her thoughts and her emotions from her unconscious to her conscious mind, to start to notice the stories that she tells herself about her life, to observe how the different events of her life trigger emotions and thoughts and reactions. Baking pies is this way of checking in with where she is amidst a story and a life and a world that is constantly trying to pull her away in different directions with schemes 
and distractions and plans for escape. Jenna has a lot of plans to get out of the bad situation that she's in, right? For any of you who saw the movie, what are some of the plans that she goes through? She hides money, right, from her husband. So he controls her paychecks as, unfortunately, is all too common a problem in an abusive relationship. But she has tips. So she keeps some of the money from her tips. She tells him it was a bad day. She hides it all over the house. Well, that doesn't work. When he finds the money, it's one of the most heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching scenes in the whole movie. And they end up using the money to buy a crib for her baby. What's one of the other plans she has? The pie contest, right? Now, if this were a different kind of movie, this would probably be what happened. She finds out about this pie contest where she can go and use her gifts, her skills to bake a pie. And if she wins, she'll get $25,000. And she can finally get away and be free of Earl. Seems like the perfect deus ex machina, right? This gift from God that's going to come down and save her. She doesn't even make it to the bus stop. (laughs) Earl discovers that she's gone and he picks her up from the side of the road and brings her back home. The third scheme is where we actually spend most of the movie. Jenna decides she's going to have an affair with her married obstetrician. It's an interesting plan, not one I would choose. (laughs) But it's what she goes with. And we follow this path that she goes on with this character played by Nathan Fillion to a scene close to the end of the movie where he decides he's going to rescue her. He is going to whisk her away. They're going to go somewhere. They don't even know where, but they're going to be together. And she'll get away from Earl, finally. And as she's literally sitting on the steps of the doctor's office, just waiting for him to pull the car around, she's this close. What happens? Her water breaks. (laughs) Perhaps the most clear and painful way of calling us back to the present moment. She goes into labor with Earl's baby. Now, I don't blame Jenna For any of these schemes, she's a woman in a bad situation, and she's working with what she has. But I think it's very telling that none of these schemes to get away from her life are what works in the end. What works in the end is staring her life straight in the face. What works in the end is calling her attention back to what is here right now. One of our core values here at Wellsprings is around the value of spiritual practice in our daily lives, staying connected to our spiritual source and to the identity of our community. And the core value says the most powerful spirituality is expressed abundantly in everyday life, in the home, in the workplace, in the malls, and on the streets. So I'll admit that when I came to Wellsprings, about a year ago now, to be your ministerial intern. I read through the core values, and I loved them. I I resonated with all of them. But I kind of thought that this one didn't apply to me. (laughs) I wasn't a spiritual practice kind of person, right? I am too real. I'm too messy. You know, I could never just kind of sit and be with my thoughts. I'm glad that it works for other people, but it wasn't really going to be for me. I thought that spiritual practices were for a different kind of person, right? Somebody like this. (laughs) Who 
is this woman? (laughs) Is she real? She is literally sitting on water, which is just going against the laws of physics, first of all. This picture reminds me, sorry, gentlemen, forgive me, but ladies, of one of those tampon commercials, right? (laughs) Where the women are all in white bikinis, playing beach volleyball. It doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem real or reflecting of our lives or honest. It seems too perfect, too perfect for me. I had this idea of spiritual practice as all about being holy and sitting on a pillow in expensive yoga pants. And so when I started mindfulness practice, at Reverend Ken's insistence, when I started mindfulness practice, I felt like I was doing it wrong most of the time. I tried for weeks upon weeks, turned into months, and I thought that I needed to look like that lady, or maybe more like I needed to feel the way I imagined that she felt. And that didn't change until one day, who knows why, but one day I was sitting in my office at my other job, and I was having a terrible, terrible afternoon. I don't remember why anymore, but I was tired and I was cranky and I was frustrated and I didn't want to be there. And it was one of those days, right, where you you have something that's wrong that day and suddenly it just opens the floodgates to everything else that's wrong in your life. And I sat there and I thought, I just want this day to be over. And for some reason, what came to me in that moment was a mindfulness teaching from Thich Nhat Hanh, about washing the dishes to wash the dishes. Nobody likes, maybe some of you do, I don't like washing the dishes. But if in the time that we're washing the dishes, we're only thinking about the cup of tea or the conversation that awaits us after we finish, we're not really alive in the moment that we're washing the dishes. And I could see in that moment how I just want this day to be over, can continue in its logical progression to I just want this week to be over, I just want this month to be over, I just want this year to be over. You see where I'm going with this? What are we doing with our lives, with the precious gift of our time, if we're just waiting for it all to be over? I got over my idea of spiritual practice as some kind of unattainable perfection. And I realized that it's actually about the exact opposite. Maintaining a spiritual practice is a way to check in with who we are in our lives. It's about practicing being ourselves. It's about practicing being ourselves with integrity and complete honesty the good and the bad. Because the beautiful thing about spiritual practice is nobody else is listening in. Right? We're practicing. We're not performing. No one knows when I sit and breathe for 20 minutes every day what I'm thinking. No one knows what feelings and images come up for me. No one knows what I worry about. Just me. There's no one else there to judge it. I get to be completely who I am. 
free of the encumbrances and the expectations and the disapproval and the violence sometimes of the world that we're so used to shaping our lives around. Instead, we can sit with ourselves until we finally see the unfinished business and the unacknowledged emotion, the secrets and the shame and the anger. And we get to practice for the real deal. We get to cultivate the courage that we need to stare life straight in the face when that moment of truth, when that important choice comes our way. Now, I think that we often do this in our lives without calling it spiritual practice. Certainly Jenna never called her pie-baking spiritual practice. Often, especially when we're making a big decision in our life, we can feel like we've been preparing for it for a long time. Like we've known what needed to happen, and we were simply working up the courage, sitting with the discomfort of the way that things have been for so long. But instead, what we so often do is exactly what Jenna does. We try to ignore or distract from what's here. And when we do that, we can react out of that. We can make decisions that are destructive. And it's not that those decisions make us bad people, or that they remove us from that source of love and worthiness in our own lives, which I don't believe we can ever do. It's that those decisions are destructive because they betray our own sense of integrity, of who we are. For Jenna to ever be free of the difficult circumstances in her life, she had to come clean. She had to be honest with herself about where she is and what she's afraid of, and what she's called to do. And the most beautiful part to me of this movie is that she has help. She has a lot of help. Her friends, her co-workers at the diner, and old Joe, the crotchety regular, they're the ones who stick with her. They're the ones who constantly direct her attention back also to what is here. The first line of the movie is one of Jenna's friends saying, you've been putting it off long enough, Jenna. What, she says innocently. And the two of them say in unison to her, you know what, the pregnancy test, right? Her friends give her a baby book about halfway through the movie as she spent all this time trying to distance herself from the child that's growing inside her. They give her a book and a way to process her feelings and her thoughts about this new life that will be born. Old Joe, at one point, reads her her horoscope, you might remember, which just happens to say, if you're having an affair, maybe it's time to step back, take a look at your life, and reassess. (laughs) He's not telling her that she's a bad person. In fact, he specifically tells her the exact opposite. He tells her that what she's doing is beneath her. He tells her that she's better than that. He calls her back to herself, to who she knows that she is. And towards the end of the movie, when Jenna is talking with one of her co-workers about the affair, 
her coworker says, Jenna, you know I love you no matter what you do. You know I love you no matter what you do. Is there anyone in your life for whom that's true? Someone you know you would still love no matter what choices they make in their lives, for better or for worse. Sometimes we think of coming clean, of cleanliness, as a way of being free and clear of mistakes or shame or regret. But coming clean doesn't mean being pure. It means being honest. And it's only by coming clean that we can experience that amazing kind of unconditional love in our own lives. There's an image that I've seen, that maybe you've seen, often on social media. <laughs> it seems to pop up every six months or so on my newsfeed on Facebook. If you're waiting for a sign, this is it. If you're waiting for a sign, this is it. Well, that doesn't make any sense, right? That's how I usually would feel when I would see this. This sign doesn't tell me anything about what I'm supposed to do. If I'm waiting on an important decision, if I'm wrestling with a choice that I have to make, I'm not getting any new information from this sign. But do we really want a sign to tell us what to do? Do we always respond well when people tell us what to do in our lives? What do we want from a sign when we ask for one? I think we want something to remind us and support us in what we already know. I think we want something to give us courage. I think we want something to remind us that we're not in this alone, that someone or something somewhere has our back. A sign like this one calls us back to the present moment. This is it. The sign is here. A sign like this one does the same thing that Jenna's friends, her community, and her spiritual practice did all throughout this film. This is it, Jenna. There's nowhere else to be, and there's nowhere else to go. So what's here right now? What do you already know? Who do you already know that you are? Towards the end of the film, Old Joe is telling Jenna once again that she has to change her life. And he says, you know, all through my life, when the sign said go this way, I went the other way. Make the right choice, he said. Start fresh. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of our hearts, spirit or God or presence that is with us always, that knows what we carry in our hearts in a way that no one else does. We are grateful that there is a presence that is with us, whether we struggle or whether we celebrate, and everything in between. And we are grateful 
for a community, for friends, for loved ones, for family, for strangers sometimes, who can remind us who we are, who can remind us that we are loved, that we can be gentle with ourselves, show ourselves the grace and compassion that we often show to others, but fail to extend into our own hearts. Help us to remember that we are precious, and we are loved, and we are enough. Amen.